mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, this week marks the one-year anniversary of the pandemic after a very long year of nothing being normal. The pressures of daily life may have you feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, and wallowing in negative thoughts. It's time to fill your every day with more yay. We'll tell you how. Also this morning, with millions of Americans struggling to meet their monthly rent or mortgage payments, scam artists are cashing in. I'll tell you how to spot the red flags and keep from turning a bad situation into something even worse. And the rise of eSports. How what started as a casual way to spend time with friends has become a big-time professional venture for the world's best gamers. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, March 9th, 2021. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for mostly sunny skies today and a high of 65, mostly clear tonight, a low 46. The Ohio Department of Health has a new central scheduling portal for people looking to set up their COVID vaccination. Governor DeWine says the new scheduling tool will streamline the scheduling process, reducing data lags, and provide real-time information on the vaccination progress. This new scheduling system comes as the governor announces that the state will significantly broaden eligibility for the coronavirus vaccine later this week. DeWine said Phase 1D would include Ohioans with type 2 diabetes and those with end-stage renal disease. Phase 2B will include Ohioans aged 50 to 59, which accounts for around 1.2 million Ohioans. DeWine said that these groups will be added on Thursday to the newly eligible groups announced just last week. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. There are two mass vaccination clinics scheduled for Findlay this week, one on Thursday at 50 North, in which 500 doses will be administered, and one on Saturday at the University of Findlay, in which around 2,000 doses will be given out. Get more details on both clinics on our website. A BGSU student has died after an alleged hazing incident involving one of the school's fraternities. Sophomore Stone Foltz was airlifted to a Toledo hospital on Friday after an incident at the off-campus Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity house. Friends say that he was on life support Friday while plans to donate his organs were made. Police are investigating. Reineke family of dealerships will be giving out personal protective equipment today. Face masks will be available at any Reineke Ford location from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. In addition to offering PPE for people to pick up, Reineke Family Dealerships and Ford will be delivering face masks to law enforcement, fire departments, schools, and nonprofits. Get more details on our website. The Hancock County Sheriff's Office is warning people about another scam. The Sheriff's Office says scams involving people receiving a message from supposed companies offering the victim $500 a month to place an advertisement sticker on their car. The Sheriff's Office say that they have gotten two identical complaints about the scam over the past few days. I'm John Marshall, WFIN News. This is Barbie Day uh, with the anniversary of the introduction of the first Barbie doll. It is also... Get over it day today. (laughs) Get over it. Kind of ironic that that should land here as we mark the one-year anniversary of the pandemic. Just get over it. Just get over it already. Get over it day. It is uh, also National Panic Day. So those two things, and I looked, they actually fall on the same day. Panic Day and Get Over It Day both fall on the same day. Two completely different observances complete diametric opposites of each other but they are both on the same day today so panic day and get over it day so i guess whichever way you want to go 
whatever you whatever whatever mood strikes you you're covered one way or the other on this it is it is also national crab meat day today national meatball day organize your home office day which again one year into the pandemic a lot of us have been working from home at least part time and so today is organize your home office day and it is unique names day so Big salute to all the Jehoshaphats out there. Millicent's. Barbie Millicent Roberts. Barbie's real name. Full name. Barbie Millicent. Wouldn't it be Barbara, not Barbie? Barbara Millicent Roberts? Anyway. um, So yesterday was International Women's Day. And... The Burger King restaurant chain in in the UK, the uh, British uh, division, international division of Burger King restaurants, had to apologize for a tweet that they posted for International Women's Day yesterday. And this was the tweet. It read, women belong in the kitchen. (laughs) So here's the thing. That sounds incredibly sexist, right? Women belong in the kitchen. But wait, there's more. There was a second tweet which explained the context of that statement. They say, if they want to, of course, yet only 20% of chefs are women. Only 20% of professional chefs are women. We're on a mission to change the gender ratio in the restaurant industry by empowering female employees with the opportunity to pursue a culinary career. Now, setting aside the fact that Burger King is not exactly... <laughs> working in the kitchen at Burger King is not exactly what I would call a culinary career, but I get the uh, the sentiment. And when you read that part, the tweet, women belong in the kitchen, makes sense. It's in, it's in context, I'm talking about as professional chefs. Uh, and yet still... Uh, as a matter of fact, they uh, launched a, they announced a new scholarship program to help female employees pursue culinary careers. But many people didn't get that far. They saw the initial treat, tweet and let the outrage begin. And so eventually Burger King had to take down the initial treat, uh, the initial tweet and apologize for it. And I just don't. I, this is this is a perfect example. Why would you apologize for something that if people had seen the whole thing, it would? It, I don't. I don't understand that. I don't have anything to apologize for. I understand that if they had put that tweet out there and left it alone, then I get it. But they did explain it. And now, that being said, Burger King posted the initial tweet women belong in the kitchen with the idea of grabbing attention because clearly they knew that some people would misunderstand that or misconstrue it until the follow-up tweets were posted but uh anyway i guess maybe that's what they were apologizing for trying to you know peak interest in that way they say we got our initial tweet wrong and we're sorry one comment on the post had said, please don't use sexism as clickbait. Okay. 
In the U.S., the Burger King Foundation ran a full-page ad in yesterday's New York Times using the same line, but completely in context, all within the uh, confines of the ad. Uh, Two $25,000 scholarships uh, have been launched that would be awarded to current female employees. So, kind of interesting there. So, big, uh, big rift for International Women's Day for Burger King. But... If the idea was to get people talking about it, mission accomplished. Because we just talked about it, everybody's buzzing about it, and so in that respect, I suppose, it was probably a good thing. Anyway, so everybody buzzing about uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's explosive interview with Oprah that aired in this country on Sunday, and apparently aired yesterday in Great Britain, and it got a very different reaction from the two sides of the pond. Americans were much more sympathetic to Harry and Meghan than Brits were. A poll of more than 2,100 Americans done by YouGov found that 44% thought it was appropriate for Harry and Meghan to do the interview. Um, 20%, just 20% thought that it wasn't, and apparently the rest of America didn't care. But a U.K. poll found the exact opposite. 47% said it was inappropriate to do the interview, and 21% called it appropriate. So almost completely turned around. Americans were twice as likely to sympathize with Harry and Meghan than the royal family. 47 to 23%. Among Britons, just 29% had, least, had at least a fair amount of sympathy for the couple, while 33% had no sympathy. Uh, that's for Harry and Meghan among Britons. But 45% of those in the UK also said that they don't have much sympathy for the royal family either. The poll further found that 58% of Americans believe race played a role in how Meghan was treated by other members of the royal family. 61% believe it affected how she was treated by the British press. Of course, uh, Meghan is biracial. So, kind of interesting stuff there. Something to keep in mind as you hear over the next couple of days, the next several days, uh, more of the fallout from the Oprah interview with Megan and Harry. I did not see it. I really don't have a whole lot of interest myself. I'm just not a royal watcher. I don't care. But everybody's buzzing about it, and that was on the Newswire. I thought it was a really interesting story. A couple of other uh, interesting things here among the most buzzworthy news items to get your day started. If your normal mealtime schedule has changed over the course of the past year with the pandemic. You are not alone. Many of those who haven't been going to, into the office uh, have changed when and how their mealtime schedule is a, has adjusted, been disrupted. Amanda Mall writes in The Atlantic that she always used to eat three meals a day. But now she basically snacks during the day except for one big meal, which she doesn't always eat at the same time. She uh, says that working from home means we have less reason to follow more regimented times for eating our meals or, or anything else for that matter. And some have adapted to setting new meal schedules or just eating when they're hungry. There's a concept. Let's just eat when we're hungry. That's... So I thought that was kind of interesting. A lot of the uh, comments uh, said that you know, doing the same thing. People are doing the same thing. So mealtimes changed. 
uh, quite a bit because of the uh, pandemic over the past year. And how about this? I don't know how this happens, but Jack Dorsey, who's the CEO of Twitter, is putting the first ever tweet up for sale to the highest bidder. How do you auction off a tweet? The tweet is Jack Dorsey's very first one from 2006, which says, quote, just setting up my Twitter, unquote. That was the first tweet by the CEO of Twitter. And uh, last week, he announced that the tweet would be for sale on a platform called Valuables. Valuables Valuables.com, I guess. It is a digital collector's auction site. It is a digital collector's item, autographed by the creator. How do you sell a tweet and auction it off? Do you print it out? Do you have a lithograph made? What is? How do you sell? And and how could there be only one? I, I don't get how you have digital collector's items, but apparently this is a thing now. Bidding has reached, get this, up to $2.5 million dollars. The CEO of Bridge Oracle is leading the pack. Two and a half million dollars. So it's another tech uh, CEO that's buying this tech CEO's digital collector's item of his very first tweet. I'll tell you what, these Silicon Valley are just, I don't know, that's weird. How do you do that? How do you sell off, how do you auction off a tweet? I don't Anyway, there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. Well, certainly these days, after a long year of nothing being normal, it is not uncommon for the pressures of daily life to leave you feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, wallowing in negative thoughts. But our next guest offers a radically simple approach to having endless energy and filling every day with yay... Megan Murphy is a writer, certified trainer, recently promoted to editor-in-chief of Woman's Day. Congratulations. And she is the author of Your Fully Charged Life. Megan, boy, do we need this. Yay. I wrote it because I needed it too. (laughs) Um, Now more than ever. And the the crazy part is I started writing the book way before the pandemic. I've been living it and researching it for 20 plus years. Um, And ironically, it couldn't have come at a better time. I'm sad because I don't get to actually go to bookstores or do book signings or all of that kind of thing. But I think the advice is so relevant and so necessary um, right now more than ever. And people really do have to kind of cut themselves a little bit of slack through this uh, through this year, don't they? I mean, I get the image of uh, Cher in the movie Moonstruck and the snap out of it. But after all, the, after all that we have been through the past 12 months, it is understandable if you're finding that tough to do. And, it, and it's understandable if right now in this moment, coming upon the one-year anniversary of this pandemic, you're feeling more angsty than ever before. I mean, subconsciously or consciously, when you hit the anniversary of, of a tough event, mm-hmm. you kind of look back and reflect on all of that loss. And what we've all been going through, whether we've lost jobs or family members, our sense of freedom, um, our sense of safety, it's, it's grief. And we're going through a grieving period. And there are stages of grief that we've, we've all been experiencing, regardless of the hardships. Um, and in the recharge chapter specifically of your fully charged life, I give you strategies to get through it. 
I use these strategies when I myself and my three kids and my mom, who's 70 years old, and my husband had COVID. I use these strategies when my father passed away from pancreatic cancer. Mm. I use these strategies when my best friend died when I was 16, very tragically. Um, they can help you move through any hard time, whatever that sense of loss is. And I think just acknowledging for a hot second that, yes, these, these days have been rough. Times are tough, but so are you. And there are things you can do. There are ways to get through this with optimism and joy. So how do you do it? How do we snap out of it and fill every day with yay? I love that, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, so here's the thing. It, the, the book breaks these down into different charges. So there's the health charge, the love charge, the work charge, the extra charge, the recharge. You're going to pick one area of life where you need to focus. Maybe where you're really feeling worse is in the work charge. And I'm going to help you find purpose and passion, even if your job is just a paycheck. Or, or if where you're really struggling is with relationships. Maybe you're feeling lonely. Um, I'm going to give you little tricks and techniques to, to operate in full battery in that area of your life. Or if it's, um, you know, you're going through loss and you're grieving and you need the recharge chapter, I'm going to give you resilience strategies. It's really about kind of pinpointing where you think you really could use the most help and making some changes there. And it's going to have this spillover effect into your entire life. Now, I think there are some basic strategies that work for everybody, of course. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the uh, advice or some of the things uh, in here may be a bit counterintuitive. And I'm thinking specifically, we often hear about the importance of striking a work-life balance. And you say, hey, forget about that. I mean, like, how much crap is that, right? There's no such thing. That assumes two things are equal at all times, right? Like, there are days when I have to finish a book or ship a magazine to the printers, and work has to be more important. That doesn't mean my, I don't love my children, but on that, in that moment, work has to be more important. There's no balance. There are days when my son's getting a tonsillectomy, and I don't give a crap about work. It doesn't mean big picture I don't care about my job, but today, my son gets 110% of my attention. And that's like, nothing is ever going to be equal. It's never going to be this perfectly balanced equation. I think what we need to strive for is synergy, so that the, the areas of our life kind of work in harmony and complement each other. And it's, if you think of it sort of as an orchestra, you know, sometimes it's about the drums, sometimes it's about the, about the violin. You know, we need them all, but everybody has their moment to shine. One of the other things that you talk about uh, in the book is talk is taking the opportunity to celebrate everything. And I know one of the things that has been so tough on people uh, over the course of the past year are all of the celebrations that we didn't get to have, at least not in the normal way. So how do folks who just don't feel like celebrating or don't feel like they can celebrate, celebrate everything? Well, and I think here's the key too. like, yes, those big picture celebrations look very different. We maybe didn't get to celebrate birthdays or anniversaries the way we wanted to. And we can dwell on that and let that deflate and destroy us and, and crap on our happiness, right? We can absolutely focus on that. That's the negativity bias at play. Or we can look at each day as an opportunity to put some yay on the calendar, to prioritize fun, to find some moment of joy. And it can be very, very simple. So for me at, at my house now, Taco Tuesday is basically a national holiday. Um, <laughs> I'm wearing Taco Tuesday slippers as we speak. Um, 
but it became to the point where we got matching t-shirts and we have like a, you know, a taco taste test where do we like the ranch or the cheesy, whatever better. We made banners and, and it escalated and gave us something to look forward to every week. And it allowed us to prioritize fun because even when times are tough, it's okay to find these moments of joy and levity. And in fact, it's necessary for our overall well-being. I say national days like, you know, National S'mores Day are a gift. Who cares if they're sponsored by Hershey's? It's an excuse to say, yay, marshmallows, graham crackers, and chocolate <laughs> found each other and we get to eat it. Like, why not celebrate that? Allow yourself permission to have some joy even when times are tough. I, these two examples, I, I, I think, highlight uh, the fact that it would be really easy to look at at this book uh, by the title and say, "Oh, here's uh, just a a book about putting on your rose-colored glasses and you know uh, trying to forget about uh, everything you're going through." And again, as you were saying earlier, it's about finding that synergy, finding that balance, finding the way to uh, deal with the reality. You're not talking about denying reality; you're talking about you know overcoming. No. And I'm not some naive Pollyanna. I've gone through some really tough times and some really incredibly hard times. The key is understanding that our negativity bias is strong. Our primal predisposition is to be a rain cloud, to find the negative. Mm -hmm. But when we actively prioritize positivity and, and choose to look for the good in every day, that good becomes louder and more prominent. And it feels good to live in a way that is optimistic and joyful. You know, but the key with without becoming toxically positive is that you also have to understand what stinks and give yourself a minute to recognize it. Whether you're tired, you're angry, you're sad, you're confused, you're lonely. Yes, yeah, sit with those feelings for a second. Absolutely recognize them. Those are real and, and you're not trying to bury them. I always say it's not about looking at the bright side only. It's about looking at all the sides you mm -hmm. need the complete picture yeah. but then prioritizing positivity and choosing the happier way through i'm curious you mentioned a little bit earlier you actually started putting the uh the first parts of this book together before all of this uh hit given the you know what we've been through the past year how did that kind of change where you anticipated to go with the book or did it well, it was pretty wild. So the book was due in April and I had just like lockdown happened. I started my new job as the editor in chief of Woman's Day from my kitchen table, never met my <laughs> team in person. I'm homeschooling three kids at that point. Like I'm, I'm making a kindergarten sloth project while trying to carry the one. Oh, wait, we don't carry the one in math now and for fourth grade math. Now. I mean, it was like a, a disaster. Um, and the book was almost complete. And it, and I did the pandemic did make me um rethink the recharge chapter a bit because I had gone through some, some deep personal loss, loss of my father to pancreatic cancer, loss right. of my best friend to an eating disorder, 16, all the things. But then we're in this moment of a global pandemic and everyone's experiencing this collective grief. So, so I, I tweaked the way in a little bit, my anecdote um, and where I was at was different. And so I had to, to make a few changes there. And then of course the, the black lives matter, movement happened and there were some things I wanted to sure. address with that. So I did make some changes because my thinking was changing and evolving. My life was changing and evolving. And then finally Penguin Random House was like, okay, now put it to bed. No more changes. <laughs> you got to stop writing at some point. That's your second book. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. I'm getting cut off at 70,000 words. Fine. 
but yeah, it did. Well, my, my, my life changed. In the end, uh, I, I guess that highlights the fact that this is not only uh, about the pandemic. I mean, this is uh, something that is uh, eternal and because we all struggle with these things. I mean, it certainly has been highlighted over the past year, but these are things that we all struggle with uh, endlessly. Again, the uh, book is Your Fully Charged Life, Megan Murphy, uh, the author. You have a website in conjunction with the book we can guide folks to for more info? Yeah, sure. You can... Absolutely. So it's Megan, M-E-A-G-H-A-N-B-Murphy.com. It's like a leprechaun name. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's where you can find all the information and shop links. It's available wherever books are sold. I say if you have a local bookstore, now is the best time on the planet um, to hit them up and make a real person do a happy dance. Or bookshop.org um, sources books from local stores um, and delivers them right to you. So really, like, really help our, our, our fellow um, community members and support local whenever you can. Amen to that. Uh, again, Megan B. Murphy with us uh, this morning. We'll have the link up on our webpage. Megan, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yay! You remember yesterday we were talking about help for homeowners who continue to struggle amid the pandemic. COVID-19 has certainly made housing security an issue for more Americans than ever. Late last year, the number of seriously delinquent mortgages hit its highest level in more than five years, and up to 21% of renters are at risk of of eviction. That's nearly one in four. The very first piece of advice to protect yourself is to avoid housing scams, which are probably not surprisingly on the rise across the country as people are trying to save their homes. Leanne Adams is Senior Vice President of National Initiatives for NeighborWorks America. And Leanne, not a surprise that bad actors have swooped in to take advantage of people at their most vulnerable. It is what they do. You probably could have seen this coming from day one, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Times of crisis, uh, scammers like to prey on the most vulnerable homeowners and renters. And in times of crisis, people become even more vulnerable. Um, You know, you mentioned some of the statistics, but right now, 11 million families are at risk of losing housing. Mm. Boy, that is uh, just a staggering number. Who is most at risk? I mean, are there certain individuals that are targeted in particular? Yeah, uh, typically it's not uncommon that scammers might target um, low-income folks, uh, people of color, senior citizens. We ran a a scam prevention campaign in the last housing crisis, and over 60% of the complaints that were filed for our campaign were senior citizens and people of color. And we know that this pandemic is disproportionately impacting many of those folks, and there's a lot of income loss right now. So what are some of the most common scams that you are seeing? How is it that these uh, individuals are preying on those vulnerable families? So um, we're, fi- we're specifically focusing on homeowners and renters with this campaign. And the things we typically see are for homeowners, um, someone might impersonate a lender. So a scammer could pose as a lender. They might request payment for a modification or offer that they can help avoid foreclosure um, similarly, uh, you know, an attorney might target homeowners who are struggling and claim to offer assistance. And on the rental side, uh, a financial predator who has no relation to a property or its owner, they might advertise uh, rental ads, they might ask for money up front. And right now, uh, you know, folks are, are hurting and they're, um, and they're struggling. And so you have to watch out for people who, who say they can pay your rent for you. It's, 
it's important to understand and spot these kind of red flags. Uh, if someone's promising well, you something that's too good to be true, it looks likely it is. Yeah, that's what actually what I was going to ask. What are some of the red flags to look for, the warning signs that there is a scam? Yeah, so, um, you know, avoid promises of success or anyone who can guarantee, who claims that they can guarantee assistance or kind of a positive outcome for you. Uh, avoid companies that tell you to stop paying your rent or mortgage or you know, ask for a fee upfront for some in exchange for some service. You really want to reach out to your landlord or your mortgage company directly. Um, if you get, you know, mail or email or a phone call from someone asking for financial information or personal information or offering assistance, you know, resist the urge and temptation to um, that pressure to act immediately. Just take a minute. Um, validate the source of that and get assistance. That is one of the things that we have heard time and time again that uh, scammers will especially try to get you to make a decision right away so that you don't have time to really think it through and uh, you know, see those red flags that you're going to act on impulse in the moment. And uh, so that that kind of high pressure sales pitch is a good uh, warning sign as well. That's right. That's right. That high pressure sales pitch, um, that, that kind of pressure to give give up information, personal information, mm-hmm. make a payment, make a decision. You really want to take a moment um, and just validate that. Now, most people, if they encounter one of these uh, and are smart enough to be able to avoid it, will just kind of go on about their business. You say it is important to report a scam whether you fall for it or not. That's correct. Uh, we encourage folks, if you if you see suspicious activity or you fall victim to a scam, um, we definitely encourage you to support uh, to report that to authorities. Um, you can go to our website, .homescams.org. It gives you tips on how to identify these scams that are happening right now, but also um, links and, and information on how to report scams to the various authorities. Um, in some states, the Office of the, the State Attorney General might be collecting this information, but the Federal Trade Commission does as well. And if you are unfortunate enough to be fooled and be taken in by one of these, first off, don't blame yourself. Report it, obviously, in that case. But then what do you do next? Yeah, we really encourage uh, families and individuals who are at risk. They, we encourage them to work with a HUD-certified housing counselor. And on that website, I mentioned org. There's a link to find a counselor in your community, uh, and those counselors, they can help you identify the scams. So if you get a letter in the mail and it looks legitimate, but you're not sure, you can take it in and meet with them. They can help you determine if it's really a legitimate offer. They can help you speak to your servicer or lender um, or work with your landlord. If you're at risk of foreclosure or eviction, uh, they can help you navigate that situation. So they're a really trusted, skilled, you know, trained resource in the community to help homeowners and renters. Again, Leanne Adams is Senior Vice President of National Initiatives for NeighborWorks America, getting the word out about these housing scams that are uh, so widely uh, proliferating right now, given the fact that so many Americans are hurting. You mentioned the website. Let's mention that again, Leanne. Yeah, thank you. It's stophomescam.org. Such important information, Leanne Adams. Thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. This update of the odd and unusual side of the news, the lighter side of the news, brought to you as a public service of Hancock County Veterans Services. So, uh, you've seen in old TV shows and movies, uh, 
thieves, uh, criminals, crooks, sometimes the good guy, you know, private investigators, uh, Jimmy in the lock on a door uh, with a with a credit card. Um doesn't work very often, but it, police in Alpena Township, Michigan, say a man did just that. He actually used his own debit card with his name on it to break into a home back in October and then promptly left the card inside the home. <laughs> Homeowner says uh, she returned home and found James Tanner leaving her house. And it turns out she knows the guy. It was a friend. She yelled out his name, but he fled the scene. When police arrived, they found the door to the house had been jimmied using a debit card, and the damaged card with Mr. Tanner's name was found at the scene. (laughs) Story goes on to say he was arraigned on Thursday and charged with second-degree home invasion. He is scheduled to return to court on March 23rd. (laughs) He left the debit card... At the scene, not the brightest tool in the, not the sharpest tool in the shed, as they say. The brightest bulb in the candelabra. Um, you know, you know the old saying about bringing a knife to a gunfight, or is it the other way around, bringing a gun to a knife fight, or whatever? Uh, you probably shouldn't do that. You probably shouldn't bring cooking utensils to the fight either. Uh, This also out of uh, Michigan from Marquette, 32-year-old Alexander Chapaton of Marquette, Michigan, broke into a residence around 4 a.m. last month and assaulted the person inside using a frying pan. According to uh, police, Mr. Chapaton brandished two frying pans and used them to clobber his victim until, that is, until his victim grabbed a knife and fought back. The victim proceeded to stab Mr. Chapaton, which caused the fight to instantly stop. That put an end to that. Emergency crews arrived to find both the suspect and victim injured, so they were wheeled away to the local hospital for treatment. Police say both have since recovered and have been released from emergency care. Mr. Chapaton was fitted with a nice pair of silver bracelets for the assault and has since been charged with intent to kill as well as one count of first-degree home invasion and assault, and two counts of assault with intent to do bodily harm. He has yet to be arranged uh, to be arraigned. Uh, his cash bond set at five hundred thousand dollars. So don't bring frying pans to a knife fight. I guess is the <laughs> uh, assault with intent to kill with a frying pan. That's I don't know if they can make the uh, intent to kill charge stick if the weapon of choice is a frying pan. Maybe. It's an iron skillet, maybe. But uh, anyway, a couple of other uh, items in the broken news this morning. A 45-year-old woman facing charges after Connecticut police say she <laughs> she was pulled over for a traffic stop. Uh, police pulled the woman over for driving 89 miles an hour uh, on Interstate 395 near Waterford, Connecticut. This happened Saturday night. The woman told the state trooper she did not have her driver's license on her, but she provided her name and date of birth. It turns out that the woman gave the name and date of birth of her sister. That's nice. That's nice. Get your sister into trouble. Well, not exactly in this case. She didn't get her 
didn't get her sister into trouble because her sister is dead. <laughs> the, the trooper determined that he had been given false information when he ran the uh, info and it came back deceased. <laughs> Man, you try and get out of a traffic ticket by claiming to be your deceased sibling. Did not work. And finally, from the international file of the broken news, uh, technology got this guy in trouble. 36-year-old Clint Butler escaped from jail last year while he was serving a 17-year sentence on a charge of robbery and weapon possession. In January, police spotted a vehicle suspiciously changing, driving erratically, driving suspiciously. Inside, they found Mr. Butler and a friend. Um, they tried also to give a fake name. Uh, he reportedly attacked officers when they said they would run his information. He was uh, promptly rearrested. He will serve the remainder of his sentence and an extra two years for the escape charge. He had spent a full year in hiding. And how did they finally get him? He came out of hiding to buy a video game. <laughs> Mr. Butler's friend said that they had just run to the, to the video game store to grab a copy of Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. <laughs> so apparently they got tired of the uh, video games that they had. They had to go out and get a... Uh, <laughs> Fugitive came out of hiding, all because he had to have a new video game. There you go. That technology, it'll get you every time, one way or the other. That is today's Broken News Report. Uh, brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Everyone deserves to be safe and free from domestic and sexual violence in our homes, relationships, and communities. If someone you love is going through abuse, reach out and let them know they are not alone. Open Arms is here to help. Call our 24-hour crisis hotline at 419-422-4766. Open Arms provides free, safe, and confidential services. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. The pandemic, we're again this week marking the uh, first anniversary of the coronavirus pandemic. The first cases, uh, the first lockdowns, the first cancellations. Uh, life just ceased being normal one year ago this week. And of all the changes that the pandemic has brought on, what has been the toughest to deal with? Researchers in Spain looked at the impact that the lockdown and other restrictions imposed to control the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, looked at the impact all of this has had on people primarily in Europe. But, you know, again, researchers in Spain, they're looking at, at Europeans. But I, I would think that a lot of this carries over to this country as well, specifically they researched people in Spain, Italy, and the UK, and they found that those exposed to the consequences of the effects of the lockdown experienced more diminished cognitive capacity. In other words, they made riskier decisions and suffered reduced civic-mindedness, which might be a little surprising. One researcher says instead of being more careful because they were in a pandemic, 
uh, people were taking risks, probably because they just couldn't take it anymore. And I said, I would think that part of that is that you know, we kind of came to grips with the fact that, you know, who knows what the future may hold, and grab life, you know, and, and live it for all it's worth. I think a lot of people kind of had that mindset. Uh, the researcher said, uh, for example, people, those who did not wear masks or evaded restrictions, um, wanted to be punished, even though they themselves, they wanted others to be punished, even though they themselves were more likely to make riskier choices, which was kind of interesting. They also note that the pandemic caused people to want immediate benefits, to make impulsive decisions, uh, sometimes big ones to get an immediate benefit, such as. People deciding to move out of urban areas and into more rural locations. And again, we saw that in this country as well. It has fueled a real estate boom, particularly in suburban and rural locations. Uh, The significance of this research and the reason they conducted the research is that they wanted to get a handle on the things that should be taken into account when designing better responses and better communication campaigns in the event of a future pandemic. That being said, let's hope we don't ever have to go through something like this ever again. But it is certainly a valid point that in the postscript of all of this, in the analysis of all of this, we're going to look at what did we do well and what could we have done better. And that list will probably be quite lengthy. I don't know if you know this, but eSports has exploded as a mainstream thing these days. Even beyond just the legions of uh, fans and and gamers, uh, millions of them around the world, but even as a professional pursuit and uh, joining us this morning talk about this explosion in the world of esports naz aletaha head of global esports uh, partnerships and business development at riot games you know i am curious uh, when you created you know your franchises like league of legends did you do so with the idea that this was going to be a professional type of of uh, enterprise for for professional e-gamers or was this or was that something that just kind of uh, evolved out of this well when we were developing league of legends the game you know back in 2006 uh we never dreamed i think that we would be selling out the staples center or madison square garden for league of legends esports events um but the interesting part is what we did have in mind when we were developing the game is uh, the replayability of a sport. And that was kind of a new concept to video games, is how do we make a game that has a mastery curve similar to sports? You know, something that's relatively easy to learn, Mm -hmm. but very difficult to master, that can be played over and over again. You know, when you think of a game of basketball, every game of basketball it's the same rule set, but it's a, it's a unique game. It depends mm-hmm. on, you know, the, the opposing team and the strategies you use and your team composition and, and just the, the overall skill level, right. Of each and every uh, yeah. player who's playing the game. And so that, that concept is something our developers had in mind. And I think, um, you know, it's, 
it's been part of why League of Legends makes such a great esport. Is yeah. that that replayability of it. It's interesting you use basketball as an example because, uh, you know, when the game of basketball was created, uh, James Naismith was just looking for a, a game that he could create that his students could play in his physical education classes, and then it just kind of exploded from there, and kind of the same thing has happened here. Has the pandemic been sort of the apex of bringing this mainstream because so many uh in-person physical activities over the past year have uh been canceled or had to be reimagined you know these virtual events have sort of gone mainstream you know whether it's work or personal communications or whatever has that that been kind of uh one of the things that has uh led to this going even more mainstream well i think Popularity of esports was certainly on the rise uh, before the pandemic hit. Um, we were fortunate in the pandemic where um, you know we were able to fairly quickly transition away from you know hosting our events at arenas in front of live audiences to um, essentially producing the the tournament completely online. So our pro athletes were able to compete out of the safety of their homes. Um, we set up virtual control rooms, you know, all around the world so that our broadcast teams could continue to produce our shows week in and week out remotely. Um, and we were even able to uh, host our most watched world championship uh, at the end of last year. So, um, you know, to your point about, you know, is there more attention? I think for, for us, we were just, you know, thankful that we could continue to deliver yeah. our sport to our fans. And I think, of course, Fans, you know, were, were, were probably more hungry for for that content than they ever have been as, as everybody was, you know, stuck at home. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, I mean, you're talking about uh, sold out uh, arenas, um, you know, major tournaments, professional uh, esports athletes. And you, in fact, have a, a big event coming up. And this is global. You've got a big uh, event coming up in, in Iceland here, uh, even in the next few months, right? That's right. Uh, in May, we are, we are headed to, to Iceland. It's, it's an exciting um, event for us. It's actually two events, uh, which, which makes it even more exciting for, for, for those of us over here at Riot. Um, we're hosting both of our um, first major international events for League of Legends and Valorant for, for the 2021 season out of Iceland. And so we're headed there um, in May. You know, MSI will kick off May 6th and go through the 23rd. And Valorant Masters will start essentially immediately after on the 24th and, and run through the 30th. And just to, again, demonstrate how mainstream this has become, you have some incredible partnerships uh, with, world-class brands i mean louis vuitton state you know, state farm insurance you talk about a mainstream uh, uh, uh partnership mastercard and now uh you've got a new partnership that you recently announced with verizon even that's right we we just announced that um we're we're incredibly um proud of and and humbled by our roster of partners i think you know, it's a roster that, that any sport would be envious of. Um, you know, Verizon in particular has come in not just for League of Legends esports, but they're also supporting us 
in Valorant esports, and and that's really exciting for us because I think it it's a, it's a testament to um, you know the the future of of Riot esports. I think you know our hope is that that our partners really can see what we've built in League of Legends, and as we start these new journeys, new esports, um, they can come to expect the same. And so to have Verizon, um, you know, uh, believe in our vision and, and join us for that ride is is incredibly exciting and, and validating. So this was one of the stats that just blew me away, uh, that esports, uh, the uh, League of Legends Championship Series, is actually the third mo- most watched sport in the U.S. behind the NFL and the NBA. So NFL, NBA, esports, that's pretty rarefied air up there. What is next in the world of esports? Sure. Well, I I think you're going to continue to see it grow. I think you'll see the entire industry grow. You know, our audience spends four times the amount of time playing games as they do watching movies or television. And so I think you're just going to see gaming and esports continue to um, just uh, grow in scale where, you know, it's, it's really become a major, uh, if not a primary, you know, form of, of entertainment. And on the, on the variety sports side, you know, our commitment to our audience is that we are going to deliver them a sport that is worthy of their dedication and passion and a sport that's either on par or even, you know, better in terms of, of quality and, um, spectacle uh that, that you know versus other traditional sports yeah. and so um you're just going to see us continue to invest in in innovation and uh and, and deliver it to fans all around the world it is pretty amazing because i can remember uh when i was a kid dropping quarters into uh, asteroids and pac-man machines uh, saying uh-huh. man if i could make a living doing this that would be and now people are uh pretty amazing stuff uh now that's right <laughs> Naz- Nazaleta, uh, the, uh, again, head of global esports partnerships and business development at Riot Games. Where do folks learn more uh, about uh, esports and uh, all of these uh, series that have uh, just gone, uh, just exploded in popularity? Yeah, you can head to our website at lolesports.com and you can see, you know, what, what we've been up to uh, on Riot Esports. We'll link up to it on our webpage. Thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. And that is our podcast for today. I want to thank uh, everybody, all of our guests, for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. Goodmornings.net is our little corner of the World Wide Web. Coming up tomorrow on the program, another fraternity initiation has turned tragic, this time at BGSU. What will it take to finally end the problem of hazing on college campuses? Also, big changes announced this week involving the Hancock County Fair. Will there be a county fair this year? We'll talk with Fair Board President Jeff Cole. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.